0: Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And this is the Investor Coaching Show, and I am Paul Winkler, and he is... I wrote work, and somebody asked a question. Let me talk about that. You, you had mentioned something earlier. Somebody had asked a question. You know, we got an email question, and it was, I don't remember exactly how it was worded. It was something, isn't it a good time to blah, 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 blah. I uh, love it when the, the word time the, is in a
1: The question sentence. that was sent in was, I'm watching my portfolio, and it's going down. Is it a good time to get out and walk? Is it
0: going down this year? Because everything's up this year. What?
1: No, I guess I I don't know the exact period of time that they're looking at, but it's been going. They said it's been going down every day. Must
0: be just last year.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, they could have looked at it on Wednesday when the S&P was down 1% and Apple was down 3%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you You
0: you could say that if you looked at it like –
1: I mean, and there have been days this year that you could look at it and say, oh, my God, it just keeps going down. And you're not aware of the full year-to-date returns. You just, true. you know, you just kind of catch it because you look at it intermittently, right? And your news timing is really off on on the stock market. So the days you see it, it actually went down. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it a good time to get out of the market and put my money into a two, uh, a two year CD at five percent?
0: Okay. So is it a good time to get out of the market Cause
1: because it keeps going down?
0: So so the question is so so the question is. Something has gone down in value. Should I lock in the losses and make sure that I don't recover?
1: Well, that's one way of looking at it. I, I do some tax loss harvesting. I mean, what you know, I, I used I being, to do I'm that at the big firms. Um, being a wise <laughs> <animal. laughs> ear. When, when, when I was on the dark side. Yeah. Luke, Luke, <laughs> come to the dark side.
0: Okay, so, so is it a good time? And now I'm curious. I'm curious, what was your answer?
1: My, my answer was, you know, long term, the markets outperformed. And if you're looking at a one or a two year period of time, what you're dealing with is some recency bias. You see the markets have gone down, so that is causing you to maybe believe that this is what is going to continue. Okay. Um, I talked about um, the way portfolios need to be diversified, that in some areas of the market, they can have positive returns while other areas have negative returns. So it's all gonna depend. But the bottom summation of what I had said was, if you know for certain, if, you're one, if you have 100% knowledge mm-hmm. that the stock markets will continue to go down looking forward, mm-hmm. and that you could lock in this 5% interest rate, and you have enough money to retire and earn absolutely nothing on your money, um, because you now have roughly a 6 to 7% inflation rate, so, your 5% on your CD is actually guaranteeing a loss of money due to inflation. Well,
0: then it makes sense. No, wait a second. If, if you have inflation, it makes sense? No. If, well, I was going to say if you have deflation, it would make sense. No. To... no.
1: If you have enough money to retire, mm-hmm. that you don't have enough, that you don't even have to earn any money on it. Okay. So, for example, if you, I had 30. If you know
0: there will be no inflation ever again,
1: if I won the lottery tonight, Okay. Or I should say remember for it. if I win the lottery tonight,
0: your spending is gonna go up I mean. okay, <laughs> and I
1: took the when as I would advise my clients take the lump sum payout uh and then pay taxes on it, I probably have like hundred and ninety million dollars in the bank, so I don't think I would have to worry about inflation going up, um earning anything on that hundred and ninety million dollars, you know, so. Yeah, I could put it into something. But to lock the money into an, a CD for two years mm-hmm. at a 5% interest rate with a current inflation rate of 6 to 7% mm-hmm. and with some of the things that they're talking about doing uh, with the government, um, that might actually drive inflation even higher from here. And we don't know. I mean, it may go down. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make any sense to get out of the market. The only way it makes sense is if you have enough money that you don't have to worry about earning anything on it, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about what inflation is going to do. Again, and and, and maybe the number is not one hundred ninety. Maybe for some people it's ten million.
0: So I'm just going to use.
1: But I wouldn't. I I would never advise anybody to do that. Okay, how much money? I'm
0: I'm just going to use. I'll use so. So you know where the numbers come from, dimensional core wealth index model, just an, this is a company that does a lot of research on investing, they just put these little models together, not necessarily that I would track their model in putting together a portfolio, I like to be more diversified than they would have in here, but I'm going to use it as an example. Okay, so um, 1990, markets went down 16%. I think I'm going to get out and let's say CDs were paying five then. Let's just use it as an example uh next year up 22 percent it was what the market that this portfolio did so was five percent a good idea no no probably not that good uh another next down was uh down 1992 down uh so i put in at five percent next year that portfolio model went up 22.3 was it a good idea to go at five when it went no probably not a good idea uh 2000 2000, uh, 2000. That's what I don't like about this because actually in 2000 we our portfolio went up uh, a little bit in 2000, 2001. But anyway, this portfolio went down both years. So, so let's just use this one. 2000 went down 2.4. Uh, would it would it have been a good idea that particular year to take five percent? Yeah, because in 2001 it went down another six percent. So it would have made sense that particular year. Next downturn, uh, there was one that went down six and the next year if you took your money and put it in at 5 in the CD would it have made sense well yeah cuz the next year it happened to go down 13 well for sure for sure now i'm going to go with the CD it. now i'm Right. Gonna, i'm going to keep, it keep it in the keep it. CD yeah because it, apparently the stock market's a really bad thing after that well, no, actually, the next year it went up 40%, and the year after that, up 19%, and the year after that, another 12%, another 21% after that. You would have been really, really sorry. Okay, but then you have the next downturn was 08. Uh, and, you know, after that went down, would it make sense to have sold in 08 and go and lock it in and put it at 5%? Well, no, because the next year was up 39 So you look at that and go, I, I got 5 but you missed 39 so I, I think that th- that's one point. Now, number two, the, your point, you said, if you knew that it was going to go down, you knew it was going to go down. Well, I like to back up and say, well, what would make me know that it was going to go down? It was going to keep going down. I knew that companies' profits were definitely going to go away because that's what makes stocks, stock prices go down. If a company struggles with profits, so I know, I know, I know that the profits are going to go down. Well, if I know, I know, I know that the profits are going to go, then I know, I know, I know that taxes are going to go away because that's what gets taxed is profits or people are going to be laid off. And that's another source of tax revenue is their income is taxed. So if I know, I know, I know that company profits are going to go away, that means I know that taxes are going to go, go go away. And that means I must take it to the next step that I know government is going to go away because government relies on taxes. And if the government relies on taxes and the government goes away, then I know, I know, I know that the FDIC goes away. And I know that the backing for the money that's in the bank is going to go away. And therefore, I've got, wow, seems like i got a bigger problem. <laughs> If I know, I know, I know that the earnings of the companies are going to go away and the stocks are going to go away. That's kind of the way I look at that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, well, and again, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I love what we do because we incorporate the behavioral finance stuff, the psychology uh, of science of investing into what we do with our clients to help them understand. Because if you do go down 5%, you know that you went down. So as I alluded to in the last segment, last you know, hour, that recency bias causes you to think this is what's going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. And so you make a decision based upon what happened. Kind of, you know, I'm going to drive home today. I'm going to get on 65 and I'm just going to look in my rearview mirror to make sure I avoided the accident that happened back there. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Okay? Probably not a
1: good way for me to get home. No. Okay. So we, I, I taught a workshop earlier this week um, called Dismantling the Myths of Investing. Mm-hmm. And we looked at track record. Mm-hmm. And, a lot, and this is the way I was taught to sell mutual funds back in the day mm-hmm. uh, based upon, you know, that five-year and 10-year five-star fund and slick, glossy uh, mountain charts. Mm-hmm. And I use the example of 2003 to 2012. And the top 30 managers did 18%. percent mm-hmm where the S&P 500 at 8.8. so managers,
0: that's really good. Yeah.
1: And and so you're looking at these top 30 managers. Here it is the beginning of 2013 Mm -hmm. and thinking, all right, where do I want to invest my money? And this is how people are doing it with their 401ks as well. Mm -hmm. And naturally, you're going to say, well, heck, I'm an investor. I'm entitled to the highest rate of
0: return I can possibly get. Especially if I'm a wealthy investor, I'm really <laughs> entitled to it. <laughs> so <laughs> because uh, you know, when you got a lot of money, you can hire I'm the special. best managers. Right. Yeah, I'm special. So yeah, that's right, I'm
1: going to put the money. Mr. Uh, Rogers and, would, have, would have agreed. Right. And and
0: and but I'm going to do it smart.
1: I'm going to spread it out over those thirty managers. Mm. Because I don't know which one of them had that highest rate of return. or Which All one happened. really had the gift? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So the next ten years, the way it turned out. Those top thirty managers had a return of ten point two, which I'd be fairly happy if I had a ten point two percent annualized rate of return for ten years.
0: That's not bad, no. Right? No, that's cool. But the S and P five hundred. But, but but wait a minute! I mean, you got that ten point two. You 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 have, I've apparently made a good decision by doing this. You wouldn't be questioning your decision because you wouldn't know what you are about to say,
1: <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> that's
1: exactly right. You'd have been like, yeah, but. All right, So the S&P 500 over that same time period of 2013 to 2022 averaged 13.73%. So it was a 3.5% difference per year for 10 years. And that's a lot of money.
0: And so- that is even more than if you take 10 times 3, you know, it's more than a 30% difference because of the compounding right. issue. Right. You know, right. So that it's a it's a much bigger deal than it even sounds like.
1: Yeah, and we're not going um, to know what twenty twenty three to twenty thirty two is going to be until twenty thirty three. So mm-hmm. we're not going to know what the next ten years are going to be until eleven years from now.
0: No, and we're completing patterns in our mind when we're looking at you know whatever has just happened and thinking it's going to continue to happen. And you know what you're doing is you're making an assumption you're making an assumption when I say, I think these CDs are gonna pay a higher rate of return. You're making the assumption that the bank is willing to pay more to use your money or has to pay more to use your money than a company when you're dealing with risk on the one hand and you're not dealing with risk on the other. So, so in other words, what I'm saying is that when we look at that equation, I wouldn't ever, if I were really thinking about it, come to the conclusion that a company that, you know, the earnings are going to go up and go down, that there's variability, there's volatility, there are all kinds of things that I can, that they, they would sit there and call, yeah, baby, you know, invest in our stock because we're going to pay you less than a bank. You know, that they, they it doesn't even make sense that there would be a lower expected return of holding the company now we went through the data you know when i where i, I went after a downturn and you see a forty percent upturn the year after a downturn or or you see you know in one year it was the next one I, I i'll keep going in the in the numbers the next downturn was two thousand fifteen the next year up thirteen percent uh... next downturn was uh... you had a, a mm. negative nine and the next year it was twenty eight percent uh... well you know twenty twenty two which was down you know, fifteen, but twenty twenty three so far is up pretty significantly. That's why I was surprised when you first asked the question. Uh, but it is that recency, and it's like if I if I have a short period of time, people, you know, it's discipline is really really challenging. It's kind of like when we look at restaurants. You know, there's some people that just won't go to a sit down restaurant. They got to go to a th- go through a dr- drive through because they got to get it right then. You know, delaying gratification is kind of a lost art. And so often, we don't have to delay gratification anymore in so many different things, you know, so so many different parts of our lives. But recognize that investing is never going to change. You're going to have to be able to delay gratification to be a successful investor. But bottom line, let's let's just look at it for what it is. When we look at the data on investor returns, we see that the returns of investors in the stock market is horribly low, horribly low. And we're not talking just a little bit below market returns historically. We're talking 7 8% per year. It's huge. And if you notice that the average holding time, what is accounting for this? Bad return? The average holding time is only a couple of years. Well,
1: according to Dalbar Research, mm-hmm. which is based out of Boston, And they update this 30-year study every year. Mm -hmm. So the most recent results they have are 1993 to 2022. The S&P 500 annualized at 9.65%. Now, we talk about the S&P on the radio show primarily because that's what our listeners are familiar with. But most people are not, not even aware that that happens to be the area that historically has had the lowest rate of return of all the areas that can be invested in Mm -hmm. when it comes to the stock market. Mm -hmm. But let's just continue on with that. Um, The average investor in stock funds or equity funds averaged 6.81%. So that's a 2.8%, almost a 3% difference. And the holding period that you were talking about was 4.25%. I mean, 4.25, 4.25 years. years.
0: So, yeah. They are t- yeah, I've seen it range between, you know, three to four years. And you know, so it's, it's all over the place.
1: Yeah. But that, those are the returns. Those are the differences. And I, and I referred to you know, the S&P 500 as no brains required. Mm -hmm. You you have to go and look it up every year and if you have a truly diversified portfolio and understand how that portfolio is built, how it's allocated through different asset classes and that it's being rebalanced. When you know these things, you don't have to worry about going and checking it constantly and making sure and seeing, is it up, is it down? If you have the confidence of how your portfolio is built and designed, based on Nobel Prize winning academics, you don't have to be concerned.
0: Well, I'd, I'd actually seen, Ira, another study that I talked about in a workshop that I taught a little while back, and it was looking at holding period of equities in general. It not only took the equity holding period of the investor in the funds, where you said was like four years, but it actually looked at inside the funds how often, how long they hold the equities as well. And the number dropped to 10 months. 10 months was the holding period and that is down from an abysmal in 1977 5 years <laughs> so it's getting worse it's not getting better Invest- and you think well wait a minute I don't change my funds I don't change things like that I I just hang on to things well what's the investment manager doing in the portfolio look at the turnover ratio inside of the funds look at the fund holdings I tell people you know look at the actual holding and you know what they found with well, the reason that they changed I, I went further into why people changed, and it was a chart that looks like this, where you have these two lines going up together, and then down together, and then up together, and then down together, and up together, and down together, and up together. And up together, and up together. It goes back and forth and back and forth, and, and what the two lines were was sentiment and positioning. In other words, when I felt confident I was holding stocks, well, when would I feel confident? After a market upturn. When I felt not confident, that's when I sold them. That's when, and so they went down together. And then I felt confident; they both up, went up together. My holding of stocks and my positioning, and my and my sentiment—you know, feeling good about things—and that's basically what it was over and over and over again. And I pointed out that it is getting worse now. Well, why might it be getting worse? Well, because information comes at us faster and faster. You know, it was uh, there was one study that was done, and I've heard all kinds of debate as to, you know, who did the study and, and the information on it. But what they what they found in the study was that the investors actually who had the had very high returns. They they looked at their account values and they they were looking at the investors at the very highest returns. And um and, and, and it was it was a debatable study. It was interesting. I don't know if this study was ever actually done, or somebody was just trying to make a point. But you know, it was like, uh, Glenn. You know, we got into a conversation, and, uh, and and you know, we were wondering, is this really something? But with the, it was people that had forgotten that they had accounts, which I thought was interesting. And and I believe the study because I've seen human behavior when we kind of forget about our accounts and we're not watching them constantly. Now I always tell people. Do. Look at your accounts. Look at your benchmarks. Look at the funds that you own versus the area of the market that they're investing in. You know, if the S&P 500 goes up 20%, by George, I want the fund that I'm investing in that's in the S&P to go up 20. But conversely, and this sounds bizarre, but if the S&P 500 goes down 10%, I want to look at that fund that I've got that's investing in large U.S. stocks and go, it better go down 10%. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I know if that fund manager and gambled and missed a downturn, they're going to gamble and miss the upturn. You know, to me, that's critical. You know, so hence, I look at a different thing. Do I watch my statements? Yes. What am I watching for? Not did it go up, did it go down, did I make money, did I lose money in a short period of time? Did I match market returns? Because I know when I look back at history, large U.S. stocks, The rate of return over the long periods of time is very, very consistent historically. And, you know, if I look at 30-year periods, it's 10%. If I look at 20-year periods, there's more variability. If I look at 10-year periods, hey, I could have, like we had from 2000 2010, you know, zero return. That's why I need to diversify more. But that is the issue as an investor is if I get there and I'm looking at things after a couple-year period, one-year period, two-year period, and – you know that you're you're just looking for trouble because you look at how fast returns occur in the stock market ninety six percent of returns occur in point nine zero point nine percent of trading days according to the one study that was done from the University of Michigan you know so you got to be very very Conscious of this as an investor, not to be looking at it too closely. Listening to the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler along with Ira Work. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. Stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye, and financial planning, tax laws constantly changing, and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee-only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing, and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. And back here, Investor Coaching Show. You know, one of my favorite things about that workshop that I taught on... um it was why investors fail. Why is that? It was the one that was, uh, I, w- I was talking about how they get pulled in by certain things. Uh, and one of them, I just had fun. I was messing around. I love getting into and digging through data on things. But I was pulling up these, uh, the, the highest cost funds. And I was pulling it up from 2000 through 2019. So I took a 20 year period and I said, I just want to find the very highest cost mutual funds, investing in small value stocks, and then just compare it to like a super, super, super low cost fund. I chose the Vanguard 2050 fund is what I did. And I said, what if I put a hundred thousand dollars and you know, in the Vanguard, fund, it grew to 266. In the very, very highest cost mutual funds, highest management fees I could find, went through Morningstar. I said, just give me the highest. Highest three. Six hundred and seventy thousand. So I was just and I was just making the point. I was you know, we think we're just sold on, you know, and I'm big on keeping expenses down, no question about it. You know, I hidden expenses especially. Mm-hmm. You know, because you'll have trading costs. I talked a lot about trading costs and, and uh, how funds can offset expenses in this workshop. I was teaching on indexing this past week. And I got into it and I said, let me show you what a big deal this is. You know, trading, patient trading. What the heck is patient trading? Well, it's not having to change the portfolio when the index manager says you've got to trade. And people don't realize how big of a deal that is. If you look at the spikes in trades that, that take place, it's a pretty doggone big deal how many trades have to take place when you re-optimize or you take that index and you change it to, you know, you, you go in and, and and change it back to whatever the asset class is that you're trying to track, whether it's small companies or, or value companies or whatever. And I talked a lot about the you know, index management and how the portfolios are put together, but people don't, you know, they're, they're so trained to look at certain things and quite often they're looking at things that the fund companies want them to look at.
1: Well, I think that's one of the reasons why the target
0: date funds and 401k plans have become so popular. I think they're only popular for one reason. What's that? Because large U.S. stocks have outperformed small recently. Remember target date funds were every bit as much in 401 ks ten years ago, but nobody wanted to touch them but
1: if you think about the average investor okay and you know when when people come into our office um you know they say well no i i'm I'm very disciplined, my money just goes in I don't move it around between the different funds, and I'm using a target date fund um I think they became very popular because of, number one, the lower per, uh, um, availability of individual funds in the plan, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two- Now, that, that,
0: that's true, too, because there are fewer choices a lot of times in 401ks now. Yeah. Right.
1: Number two, if you're told, well, you know, based on your age, you're probably going to retire at 2045, let's mm-hmm. say. And this 2045 fund is designed- to reduce the risk as you get closer to your retirement age. Mm -hmm. So you think this is all being done for you. But I think the liking of the companies that are using them is that they get to hide what is actually being done within the funds
0: in the target date fund. Sure. But anecdotally, and, and this is not scientific by any stretch of the imagination, but I remember doing a lot of 401k analysis, 2009, 2010, 2011, 12, 13, even you know, up to about that point, about up to about 14 or so, and people would come in with their 401k choices. And I would say, wow, it's interesting, I noticed that you didn't have anything in your target day fund. They weren't using them at all at that point in time. And again, not scientific, it wasn't a big enough sample to be scientific. but. I find that that is not the case right now. I find a lot of people are using it, and I think it has everything to do with in 2009, 10, 11, and 12, you had a 12-year period where the S&P had no return, which is where those things are focused on so much. And they looked at it and they said, I don't want this. I don't want this because it's no good. And it, because it didn't have, you know, the past performance wasn't good. So they were staying away from it when in reality, they still were told, hey, we'll manage it all for you. But they looked at it and said, you guys aren't very good at managing. And they were mis, misdiagnosing that the underperformance, the poor performance was due to the fact that it was poorly allocated and mainly focused on large U.S. stocks and therefore you know the fund companies were doing the same thing they're doing now but it's just that they, now they have that luck of the draw that large u.s stocks in during during the trump administration anyway mm-hmm. uh, had done so well well
1: and they also have the mindset of it's too complicated i can't do it myself
0: i don't know what to pick this doesn't for me i think there there is some of that sure Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do? Go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.